I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore. I'm out of breath. I just ran. (laughs) But I have to do this show um, because I want to keep the schedule. So you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore, even though I'm out of breath. This episode, I just watched the premiere of We Own This City, um, the limited series, the new HBO limited series, based on the book um, by Justin, former Sun reporter Justin Fenton. And I've got so much to say. Um, so there are podcasts out there. There's actual, there's an actual official podcast, a companion to the series, We Own This City. Um, and so there are smart people who are out there talking about this, this series, talking about Pelican, what is it, Pelicanos and Simon, those famous directors, writers, um, folks in the media who have told, who tend to tell gritty stories. Simon has told gritty, uh, has already told Baltimore's gritty story in, and I think Pelicanos too, in The Wire. Um, but also, you know anything about Baltimore, you know it's The Wire, it's Homicide Life on the Street, it's The Corner by Char- Charles S. Dutton. If you haven't watched that, you should. Rock by Charles S. Dutton too. that TV show that was from the 90s. Um, there's Ladder 49 that was out of here. There's, there was a movie starring Ben Affleck and Jennifer Aniston that was, that was set in, in Baltimore and largely in the harbor. Um, uh, obviously, everyone knows Hair. Everyone knows Divine is from here. Um, everyone knows, what's the guy's name who's, with the mustache? The director with the mustache. Oh, he's gone for me. But you know who I'm talking about, who was friends with Divine, who directed Hairspray. It was, hi- it was him. Um, and Crybaby, too. Was it Hairspray and Crybaby or was it just Hairspray? Crybaby was here. His, his, I don't know. He had a hit. John Waters. John Waters is from here. Um, a lot of actors from those TV shows are from here. And so, by and large, even though Baltimore, Hannibal... Um, all of the shows that Baltimore, that is the backdrop for Baltimore, um, most of, most of the shows set in Baltimore about crime and punishment, even the one, the Kevin Spacey one, the Kevin Spacey one, um, yep. It was essentially about crime and punishment as well. It was just the political side of crime and punishment, but a lot of it was based in Baltimore. It was shot in Baltimore. You know that. Hannibal, set in Baltimore. What was that about? Crime and punishment. The uh, crime side. And so, you know, there's a lot. It, it's, it's funny that this little old city of 600, just over 600 people, the crime and the corruption in this city would take, would take center stage. And the thing about it is, I... I don't know what I thought I was, I don't know what I thought Baltimore was going to be when I moved here, but I had an idea it was going to be something similar to The Wire. And while that is not entirely true, you literally cannot make up some of the stories of corruption that are healthy, Holly. Who would have thought about that? There was no writer in the world that would have gotten, 
that would have gotten that story right, that a sitting mayor would be indicted on federal charges for corruption. And not only a sitting mayor of a city, but the board of a university, several board members of a university and other universities, actually multiple universities, but one in particular would be brought down in this scandal. You could get close, but not that close because even the college admission scandal didn't bring down the college president themselves, didn't bring down the mayor of the city of, of a urban, of a major city nearby. Do you know what I mean? So like you can get close, but you can't get that. And even that story, even that story, you can get close, but you can't, you can't get it. You know what I mean? And so, so it's the healthy Holly is a prime example of something that you wouldn't believe unless, you know, you would think you, it's too ridiculous to make up. And then it's the countless corruption stories uh, with the police. The different uh, corruption is not a new thing in authority, right? That's a global issue. It feels local, but it's global because it's compartmentalized. Mostly we think we're, you know, it's just an us problem. It's a we problem. It really is. And, you know, each jurisdiction has its own, and I'm talking about globally too, has its own way of dealing with corruption, but the fact remains that when you have people in places of power who prioritize their own gain over that of the people they're supposed to be serving, the community is always going to get the shaft in the end. Even if it's a even if it's perceived as a victimless crime, you just, you know, misused, misappropriated funds. Well, those funds could have been directed towards programs that are currently not funded. One of the things we know about Baltimore is that it is the out of school time pro programming is woefully inadequate. Transportation is woefully inadequate. Job access to jobs is woefully inadequate. We know that. We know we have we have food deserts. If you don't know what a food desert is, what that is is there's not a there's not a grocery store within a mile of you. But there's all of these, and the thing about it is, okay, so if you live in the country, why drive to the grocery store all the time? You, the operative term is you drive. You have, tra- you have access to the grocery store because you have transportation. The issue in urban cities, as you all know, and I'm saying something that most of the people who listen to this show already know, but globally speaking, you, a thing is a food, a thing is a desert because they don't have ready access to it. Imagine shopping for the month for your family. You know what that looks like, right? Even shopping for two weeks. Sometimes you got four or five bags worth of groceries. Now imagine trying to haul four or five bags worth of groceries on the bus, on the train. Some people do it and they have card. They've made carts for that sort of thing. But see, this is why, this is why the advent of a grocery delivery came about. Because it's taxing, time-consuming, and it's hard on the body. And so when you live in the country, hop in the car, or maybe you are in a community that maybe you don't have a car, but somebody next to you has a car, and so you can just hop on and get it. It's not easily accessible like that in the city. In Baltimore, I don't know the ratio between people who have transportation and who don't, but like 
it's common for people not to have a car here. But the accessibility isn't there. So basically what you have is a bunch of people who end up going to corner stores to get grocery groceries, which end up being not the best place in the world to get groceries because often the items are out of date. Or maybe not they're not out of date. It's just not you can't eat as healthy as you, you don't have as many options at the corner store as you might have at the grocery store. And before you you come at me and say, well, bodegas in the city, bodegas in New York. I'm not talking about bodegas in New York. Some corner stores here in Baltimore are like a mini grocery store, like a bodega. But what I'm talking about is for realsies, a corner store that sells food, wine and liquor. And mostly the items that are sold are shelf stable. You'd be hard pressed to get you a banana. Maybe you would get you a banana or something, but you're not going to get access to all the same fresh fruits and vegetables that you would at a grocery store. That's not how our, our corner stores are set up. It's just not. And so you start talking about that and you start thinking again, if you look from our governor, uh, Governor Hogan's perspective, the city's city leadership are mismanaging their resources. We could in the, we could close the, the, the income gap. We could make our streets safer. We could uh, get more people in jobs. We could, you know, if we just policed better, like no joke, their idea to end to solving crime in Baltimore city is literally pouring more money into the police department. Here's the issue though. What has been the conversation for the last decade here in Baltimore? Excessive overtime in the police force and the fire department. We've had whole cases. I, when I first moved here, I've been here for 13 years at this point. When we first moved, when I first moved here, I can remember maybe three years in, there was a, either a police officer or a fighter, firefighter who was indicted on misappropriating, basically stealing time. Because this guy decided that he was going to punch in and then go to Ocean City and be on the beach and still collect a check and did it more than once. And I know this is this sort of this level of abuse is not like that. That type of abuse is not unique to Baltimore. It's just we are a mid-sized city. Things do tend to get amplified when we're a mid-sized city and we're there's it's there's just so much attention on us naturally anyway. And so when you come to a story like we own this city, when I first moved here, I would not have thought it was possible. Spending time here being 13 years in, it's of course it's possible. And there's other stories we still don't know. There was a police officer who was convicted of selling drugs out of his car, squad car that is. I love this city. I love it. I love it to life. I do. But the level of mismanagement that has gone on from different in the department, in our police department, from different leadership, turning a blind eye in our mayor's office and different administrations, greasing, you know, glad hand, not well, what is it? What is it? Scratching each other's backs from the politicians. And the boards of trustees for high sedity uh, universities. It's it's enough. It's enough. And but but the answer is more police. 
It's not. The answer is more accountability. The answer is, is pouring more resources into the community. Better training. I'll get into anyway. I, but so this story is not unique and it's actually multi-layered. And when you watch this, the one thing I'll say before I get into talking about this, because I recorded my response to I recorded my response to the series, the premiere the night I watched it um, or shortly after I watched it. I can't remember at this point. Um, but I will say two things. One of the things you need to know about this, if you're going to watch the series, one of the things that you need to know is that Baltimore City is an independent city. It is not reside. It does not reside in a county is it is its own county. And in fact, it is the largest city, independent city in the United States, meaning that it does not belong to a county. Right. Even New York City belongs to a county. Los Angeles belongs to a county. Baltimore City is its own county. When you talk of Baltimore County, it is a different jurisdiction. And that is important to note because that trips people up a lot. So when you're talking about Baltimore City Police, that's literally the city police. It's its own jurisdiction. Police, politicians, it's its own jurisdiction. When you're talking about the county, Baltimore County, you're talking about a completely different jurisdiction. And again, in Maryland, I've said this before, but in Maryland, when we say the county, when we say a county name like Harford County, Anne Arundel County, Worcestershire County, uh, Carroll County, when we say Washington County, when we say counties, we're talking about a jurisdiction that is home to several smaller cities. So when we say Baltimore County, we're talking about Catons, you know, that we could be talking about Catonsville, Dundalk, Essex, Timonium. That's in the county. That's the county is Baltimore County, not to be confused with in the city. When we're sa saying in the city, we're, we're referring to neighborhoods. I'm downtown. I used to be in Northeast, Lake Montebello area. Right. So like these are the things that you need to know because they're not going to explain it to you in the series. You just need to pick up. And I like that they don't explain it to you because this is a Baltimore story. Mostly, it feels like they're mostly talking to Baltimoreans, but like if you're not in the know, hurry up and get in it. And it's easy to do. Your key is Baltimore City is its own jurisdiction. And so when you start, when the story begins to unravel, you recognize that there are many different jurisdictions that are involved in this story. Many different. Also, Pay attention to the characters. This is all about police officers. You're hard pressed not to engage to see characters that are not connected to the police department or, uh, or, or most of the characters in the, the show are police officers. And that should tell you when you're watching this thing, keep that in mind as you're paying attention. Things will make more sense. All right. I think I've talked enough. In the next segment, I'm just going to go down. I'm going to do the particulars like I normally do and then go straight into just I, I'm not going to I am going to spoil aspects of it. But this story, you should know. You should know this story. I am, though, going to give some context. Um, there's mention to the Freddie Gray case. This 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 is post Freddie Gray. This series begins post Freddie Gray. It's like two years behind it. Twenty seventeen. This thing jumps back and forth, so you do need to pay attention. And so I'm going to do my best. I think I do my best anyway. In the next segment, kind of managing that back and forth um, and giving you some context 
And hopefully you enjoy this show. It's a limited series. Hopefully you enjoy this show. Um, so far, I'm enjoying the thing, but I'll say more about that in a second. And I, while I probably won't do another episode about this limited series, I think I will pop in and say a few words about it in talking about the other other things in, in subsequent um, uh, episodes. But anyway, um, all right. So next segment is all about We Own This City. So let me get into the particulars. The series We Own This City is based on a novel, um, a true crime novel by former Baltimore Sun reporter Justin Fenton, who is now a part of another magazine that's going to be published soon. It was a big thing. A lot of people leaving the sun, a lot of good reporters leaving the sun because their production was no longer going to be local. It's the production plan actually moved to Delaware. And that was the straw that broke a lot of reporters, the, the camel's back for a lot of reporters, including Justin Fenton. But I digress. I follow him on Twitter. Anyhow, so it was based on his book, which is based on a true story. Um, about Baltimore City Police Department's Gun Trace Task Force, which operated um, for a period of time in Baltimore City with the express purpose under the Obama administration, under the express, well, uh, what was it, Eric Holder? Under Attorney General Eric Holder's um, design, which was to eliminate the use of or or basically round up all of the ghost guns or not ghost guns ghost guns is a newer term basically all of the illegal guns off the street um baltimore is not new unique to any other urban american city um but this is what baltimore city's approach to a lot of unregistered un um illegal guns on the street, this task force was meant to round them up and get them out. Now, I think every good story, including every good instance of corruption, begins with the best intentions. And the intention of this task force was good, or at least on the face of it, was good. Get the... get guns out of the hands of the bad guys guns have flooded the streets of Baltimore I keep yawning I'm just deal with it keep flooding the streets of Baltimore get them off the street we will lower crime right we will lower gun deaths we will lower you know we will lower crime in our city now remember I maintain and a lot of activists a lot of people that are smart also maintain that you're not truly going to reduce crime by policing alone, right? You divested from out-of-school time um, opportunities for youth. You also eliminated or are not doing much to bring in jobs in the city. 
And if a person wanted to, that didn't own a car, wanted to get out of the city to go to work, you don't make it easy for them to get out of the city because you're doing things like canceling the red line and moving it down to D.C., talking about Governor Hogan. But anyway, I digress. So we know this was doomed to begin with because it was putting a Band-Aid on something that required much more than that. But at the face of it, it sounded it sounded great. And I was I've been living here in Baltimore. I remember all of this. I've, I've been here for over a decade at this point. I'm pushing 15 years at this point. And I remember learning about the, the gun trace. And what is it? Gun trace task force. I'd be calling it something else. I used to be calling gun track and trace or something like that came anyway. GTTF is what the acronym was. Why do I know the acronym? Why do I know this task force so much? Because the corruption was exposed. And in Baltimore, like we haven't been talking about it like that. Well, no, that's a lie. We've been talking about not the quote unquote good that the task force did, but all of the corruption that was just riddled, that just all up and through the task force for at least six years, off and on right here in Baltimore. Um, and the trial was part of it. Oh, 2015, well, 2015 is when it came to a head. No, no, 2017 is when it came to a head. 2017 is when it came to a head, but the task force had been operating for years. Under Eric Holder. Excuse me, the Attorney General Eric Holder under Obama the Obama administration, President Obama's administration. Anyhow, so this is the origin story of this thing. And also it's, so it, it, in parts, this is a story of corruption of this specific tax force. In other parts, it is, and as you see in the show, it is a complete story of the nature of policing in Baltimore City. And police relationship with citizens. Also, police relationship with other departments. Yep, all of that. Um, Now, mind you, it's a dramatization of the story. So not everything that glitters is gold. Not everything is true. As you all know, it's mostly true. This is where we are. It's mostly true. Um... Anyway, so the show itself stars some familiar faces, um, including folks who tend to act in Baltimore dramas. Um, and then somebody who they said was a local. He is a local. I will be darned. Look at that. Huh? Anyway. All right. So um, there are some actors that play in this that whose accents I thought were pretty good. Turns out. It's because that it's their accent, their natural accent. But anyway, let me let me go through it. So John Bernthal, who you know, plays uh, John Wayne Jenkins, who is the central character of Justin Fenton's book, which is why he's he's the main character of this series. And even in the even in the news media about this, they really have Wayne Jenkins as the central bad guy, largely because he was the head of this task force. Um, and influenced a lot of people um, in the department. So anyway, that's who plays John Wayne Jenkins. What blew me was Sean Souter was in this, which if you've been listening to the show, you know, or that my show that you know um, that 
December, toward the end of 2021, um, a documentary done by D. Watkins, um, who sidebar is the host of the companion podcast about this, we own the city, this, this, uh, HBO series, but I digress. Anyway, D Watkins did a documentary about Sean Souter. And if you don't know his story, Google him. I was surprised that he was in the story, but not really. Um, because Justin Fenton was in the documentary. So I guess they were just bearing the lead a little bit, but Jamie Hector plays him and Jamie Hector. Remember he played, um, Ooh, who did he, Marlo. He played Marlo, um, in, uh, the wire. So he plays in other things too, like Bosch, but I remember him as Marlo in the wire. Um, and he's from Brooklyn, but anyway, um, which is not abnormal because there's a lot of New Yorkers that are around in and around Baltimore, Philly, because, you know, you from a big city, you want to leave that big city because you're tired of it to go to a different city that has different uh, frequencies, you know, vibrations. It's a little bit easier for you to manage. So it's, and plus we're right up, we're right down 95. So it's nothing to, to get back to New York. If you want to visit family, it's like four hours on 95. Um, you can take the train and get there in two. I think if you take the Acela, no, you could probably get there or what if you take the Acela uh, for Baltimore. Anyway, um, blah, 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 blah. Um, but Sean Suter is in this and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about him. Um, but you need to pay attention to his character, uh, to, to him in the show. Um, Josh Charles, who I did not know was a Baltimore native, plays detective, uh, uh, I don't even know if he's detective, but Daniel Hersel, who is the epitome of what I remember being told. Like he was the type of officer that I remember being told about when I first moved to Baltimore. When I was digging into the city and I moved here when they were divesting from out of school time programs, there was quote unquote, no money for those programs. And I, Not that there wasn't a decline before I moved here, but I witnessed a decline um, when I first moved here in 2008. But anyway, when I first moved here, I was working in communities, um, working with youth, talking about, um, you know, protecting our youth and getting them engaged, keeping them engaged um, and, you know, trying to help them achieve their dreams as best as possible in any way of course no good no no community organizer worth their salt is doing any true work in the community having true conversations in the community and and building with folks without talking about policing in their community and how to overcome or partner and more so overcome um shortcomings in the department um And I distinctly remember hearing about, hearing from the teenagers that I was working with, some of the adults that were supporting some of these teenagers, talking about how, oh, it's cool that they have these ride-alongs for these neighborhood associations that these community centers are attached to, but let's be real, that's not reality. What in reality is our kids are harassed. Our reality is our kids are lumped up in these same groupings. The reality is our neighborhood is harassed by these police officers that aren't from Baltimore, 
they come from the county or they come from when so in Baltimore when you say the county you're talking about Baltimore County so they don't live they, so if somebody if somebody's saying that these police officers come from the county they're saying that these police officers live in Baltimore County but not even Baltimore County that's close to the city like further out and they're also saying that they either come from the county or they come from somewhere else. Usually the somewhere else is a county that's not even bordered by Baltimore. Um, so it's not even an urban county. And so I can remember conversations about police like Daniel Herschel. And so what can I say? This the setup, episode one, the setup is something fierce because if anything, I'm reminded of all of those conversations when I first got here, all of the conversations, what to look out for, you know, the work to try to, that, that uh, community organizers tried to do to partner with community, um, their local precincts to try to get police officers all out of the car on the street, but like building relationships with the, the black captains, you know what I mean? So that they could partner together. And I remember be everybody trying in earnest and it just never felt in certain communities. It never felt like it went anywhere. Um, but anyway, just more on Daniel Herschel. You could look him up too. Um, more on Daniel Herschel later. Um, Wonmi Mosaka, Mosaku, an actress whom I love because she's great and she's pretty. Um, but she plays Nicole Steele, who is a civil rights attorney um, that was assigned to Baltimore to ensure that the police department was complying with the consent decree um, that the city had been under following the death of Freddie Gray under the Eric Holzer administration. Um, yep. Anyway, um, Delaney Williams plays Kevin Davis, Commissioner Kevin Davis at the time. Remember, if you go back, I mean, a couple of years, way back, it must have been episode 10 of my podcast. Maybe it's called Game of Commissioners. It was a very unclever title to, it was in a nod to Game of Thrones. Anyway, um, I wasted a lot of time watching Game of Thrones and I regret none of it. It's just, cause it got me through a really kind of low period in my life. I was unemployed when I started watching it and I powered through like the entire first five seasons and well, first four, and then I got a job and I, my, you know, it, it, I felt like it was one of the things that helped me power through. Um, but it's not a good series anyway. Um, so I digress. Anyway, I did a whole episode of the revolving door. That was the commissioner's office. Um, maybe it was the first, in the first year of this podcast, probably episode 10, something like that, but it was called Game of Commissioners. And anyway, um, Kevin Davis, I, I wonder, I, so in that, epi- in that, in the episode that I did, um, I had a favorable 
opinion of Kevin Davis. I wonder if that's going to change in this series. I wonder. I have not read Justin Fenton's book, so I don't know all the details in it. I only know this case because I was here when it was unfolding. I remember reading the news reports about who was flipping on who, talking about the the detectives that were caught up in the task force and were caught up in this mess. I remember who was flipping on who. Um, I remember police officers, you know, trying to leave and go to Philly and, and start a new life as if going up the road two hours is enough of a of a of an escape for you to restart your life. Like I don't. I, anyway, people people on the one hand people are lazy, on the other hand people are naive and really think we are dumb. Anyway. But um, I remember all of that. And even, and, and fun fact, people are still being indicted behind the gun uh, trace task force. To this day, people are still catching charges behind that. And this happened, this first blew up 2017. So we're in 2020 and people are still catching charges. Anyway, um, but anyway, I wonder if my opinion about uh, uh, Commissioner Davis will change as I watch this, um, I think that's it. There are some other folks that play a troop. Well, hold on. I think there's one more actor that I want to pull up because he represents, uh, actually there's two more. Okay. So, um, actually there's three more. Okay. So, Thaddeus Street, who I've never heard before, plays James Otis, and Jermaine Crawford, who I've never heard before, uh, plays Juan Dixon. Uh, Jaquan, my bad, Jaquan Dixon. Um, these two people, if I'm not mistaken, these two people are detectives that were basically playing both sides. So on the one hand, they were bad guys. On the other hand, they were complete street detectives um, that were a part of this task force under under uh, Jenkins. Excuse me, under, under Jenkins. And anyway, I find them so fascinating because when we were revealed, when it was revealed, we were introduced to these in the show. I, I like how it was set up and I'll get into the show in a minute. But I will say this, how it was set up we were introduced to these two people as quote unquote street thug thugs that were robbing drug dealers and whatnot, right? At the end of the, and one of them was sitting, um, actually like it fast forwarded and, and was in the future. And one of them was sitting handcuffed to in a, a police interrogation room, obviously being interrogated by like some upper authority police officers or maybe FBI agents or what have you. So that's how we're introduced to James, James Otis. That's how we're introduced. No, 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 not James Otis. It's not Otis. Bump Otis. Oh my gosh. I'm bringing out the wrong people. I'm my bad. I'm bringing out the wrong people. The two people I want to focus on is Daryl Britt Gibson, who plays Jamel Raymond, detective Jamel Raymond and then McKinley Belcher III, who plays Mamadou, Mamadou, oh gosh, what's this, what's the detective's name? Anyway, Mamadou, but they call him G-Money. 
He calls himself G Money, but his name is Mamadou. These two detectives, we're introduced to them, uh, Jamel and Mamadou, as thugs, quote unquote thugs. And then we learn at the end of the episode that they're, they're, they're police officers or like midway towards the end. We learn they're police officers and it trips, it trips you out because um, they've been they were robbing a drug dealer very viciously um, robbing a drug dealer. And that's like the first episode. And so, you know, it's only downhill from there, right? Like, you know, the, 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 the rope only, only unravels even further and more, uh, uh, more complexities are, um, laid out, but yeah. So it, so we're introduced in the very beginning, we're introduced to these quote unquote street thugs and Jamel Mamadou and actually I really do think Jaquan Dixon was one of those officers as well. Um, and then Mamadou was supposed to be something, he was kind of operating something like a detective a little bit, or not a detective, but um, like, the, like the, the leader of this gang. And then you're introduced and you find they're all officers. Um, okay. So there's these two. And then the third one, I only want to bring up. So Trey Cheney plays Gordon Hawk, um, who's a detective from another jurisdiction who is partnered with, uh, David Cornsett, who plays David McDougal. So McDougal and Hawk are the officers that are out of Harford County that help kind of blow up the gun uh, trace task forces spot, basically, um, which is also blows up, uh, blows up Wayne Jenkins spot too. Anyway, but the reason why I want to bring up Trey, Ch- Trey Chaney is because he played in the wire too. And is he from Baltimore, by the way? I don't think so. No, he's not from Baltimore. Well, if he is from Baltimore, I don't know. His accent is, is, where are you from? Come on, where are you from? Personal life. Clinton, Forestville, Maryland. Okay, no, his wife is from Clinton. He is from Forestville. I don't know where Forestville is, but if you are from Maryland, you have a better, you've had more time to spend with the accent. And so I'll give you a pass on that one because his, his accent ain't bad. His accent ain't bad at all. And I don't remember his accent being bad in The Wire when he was a child. So anyway, um, I just think it's cool that they have Baltimore actors with those different accents. I've been saying for years, I know everybody should, everybody knows this by now, but Baltimore does not have one accent. If you're a Baltimore native, there is a difference between so there's a difference between if, if English is your, is your second language, but you are, you like, well, actually, if you are first generation growing up in uh, Baltimore and you're also first generation American, your Baltimore accent is going to be different than a white person who, who is a native Baltimorean. Your accent is just going to be different which is also going to be different than a black person who is a Baltimore native. 
It's just the way accents go. There's not one Londoner accent. There's not one New Yorker accent. I would, because again, if you ever, if you ever met somebody black or a Latinx from, from New York, even from the same borough, and they listen to a white person from that exact same borough, all of their accents are different because that's how it works. That's it. And, and let me just back up. A-A-V-E. That's how A-A-V-E works, too. Like, you may not accept it as a language, um, but it is. And that colors our speech, which is why Black folks' accent, even if it's a strong accent, if there's a strong regional accent, the Black folks' accent is going to be different to the white person's accent, which is going to be different to the English as a second language speakers, native speakers, like you speak English fluently, but your accent is going to be different because it's influenced by your culture. That's what it is. And what I like about what I like, what, what HBO gets right about their shows that are based in Baltimore is they've got New York accents because there's a lot of New Yorkers here in Baltimore. So you've got New York accents, you've got um, general PA accents, which are different than the Dundalk accent. It's like, it's, it's different than the Dundalk accent. So you got people from PA here, Phil, uh, uh, I'm about to say Philadelphia, but, uh, Pennsylvania. Um, of course you've got the nuances that I just mentioned between natives, Baltimore, native Baltimoreans, but their cultural background and how that's influenced. Um, you even have Southerners up here too. And if you're, yeah, right. So if you're a Southerner, but you're a transplant and you've been here for over a decade, your accent slips. You don't lose your original accent. You just slide into, you, you start picking up things. And so anyway, what HBO tends to get right in their series that are based in Baltimore is these very specific nuances in the accents. These actors spend some time and it helps that they have natives that are a part of the cast that help like in real time help these actors get the accent together I will never forget Idris Elba's Elba I always say his last name wrong but you know what I'm talking about Idris Elba um his accent he had more of a New York accent than he had a Baltimore accent and that was fine to me there were other people who you could hear were trying. Like, um, who's the guy that played McNulty? Whoever the, anyway, McNulty. He was supposed to be like a Baltimore native. And his accent was pretty good. It wasn't perfect, but it was pretty doggone good. And actually, let me look in this cast because Delaney Williams plays Kevin Williams also in The Wire. And I wonder if he's from Baltimore. He's from D.C., which is not Baltimore. And there's certainly a D.C. accent for sure. There is a D.C. accent. Um, I will, like I said, I will give people who are in, who are from Maryland or the D.C. metro area. I will give them more of a pass than non-Maryland D.C. actors because they've had more opportunity to engage with the Baltimore accent. Um, and so when you go into coaching, I bet you it's, you had less of a road to, to traverse because you've heard the accent before in its natural state, not put on, you know what I mean? 
So anyway, um, and so, yeah, this is what this series does not disappoint. Um, the people who are supposed to be from New York sound like New Yorkers who've been in Baltimore a while. Um, the people who are supposed to be from the county and, and Harford County, like I will, um, McDougal, the guy, uh, David Cornsweat that plays, uh, David McDougal. He don't sound like he's from Baltimore or even the Dundalk area, which is a real strong, thick, white Baltimorean accent. Or at least that's a good representation of what a white Baltimorean will sound like. That Dundalk accent is it. Um, he, but, but David McDougal sounds like he's from one of the counties in Maryland. He's got that Maryland, there's like a Marylander if you're a native Marylander, there's an accent that you just naturally pick up, especially if you're out in the county. It sounds similar to the PA, like the rural PA um, accent, but it's different. And you just got to hear the nuance. And the actor did a really good job. And where is he from? He's from Philly, which is why he, see there? You see what you see there? That's why he do it. See, th- this is why it sounds more authentic because it, it sounds different enough. It sounds actually all, all of these accents I hear on a regular basis. I hear people that either grew up in the Philly area, grew up in PA. It was like a suburb of Philly or um, grew up in one of these counties that are like North Maryland that are just south uh, or just right at the line, the Delaware uh, Pennsylvania, Maryland line. And there's an accent that comes with it. And the guy that plays, uh, David McDougal sounds great. Sounds great. An accent I'm looking for. Um, and so again, it's just another thing that H a thing that HBO, excuse me, a thing that HBO gets right. Another thing that I find fascinating about the show is I love that it's absolutely shot here. I can tell you just about every single landmark where they are in the show so far. I can tell you where that is. And it's really cool. It's really cool. When they were shooting this, it was, uh, when were they shooting this? Was this 2020? This must have been like 2020 when they were filming this. Um, 2020, 2021. Perhaps it was 2021. Anyway, I remember them filming not very far from where I currently live. And because as the crow flies, I'm, I am downtown. If you pull me up on a map, if you if I was ever to give you my address, if you pulled me up on a map, I'm literally the neighborhood that they say that hubby and I live in is downtown. And so what else is downtown? City Hall, uh, Police Plaza, uh, all of that. And as the crow flies, I'm not far from any of that. So it stands to reason that they were filming close to me, but you know how it goes. When they're filming in your city, it's easy for you to kind of duck and dodge it. Um, it was too easy, actually, to duck and dodge. Back in the day when they were shooting, um, what was that? What was that political drama with that actor, Kevin Spacey? What was it? What was the name of that thing? Crown of Lies, something with thorn, Throne of Lies. I don't know. Anyway, the one with um, Kevin Spacey. And they filmed it here. Um, 
But when they filmed, they were real clever when they filmed. It was minimal. Well, it was invasive. Let's be for real. And they filmed in Mount Vernon a lot. Um, but it was so, they were so efficient with it. And their time frames when they were filming were so unobtrusive. Well, mostly unobtrusive that it was easy for you to skirt all the way on past that. And then even Hannibal, I don't think I ever ran on a I don't think I ever um, was an inconvenienced by them filming. And so, like, not seriously. And so, you know, you look on this one, and and I, like I said, I remember them. It was last year. I remember them filming. I remember seeing D. Watkins, because I follow D. Watkins, too, on Twitter. Um, you know, taking photos with uh, John Berth. I never know how to say his last name and I don't really care. It's because I'm not trying. Anyway, I remember them um, taking pictures with him um, and some other imported Baltimore um, like photographers and artists and things like that, taking pictures with him. Um, but yeah, so I knew they were around here, but I didn't run into them and it was easy to do. It was easy not to run into them. Um, because you can avoid the areas reasonably. You can avoid the areas where they're shooting. But I digress. Let me get to this film itself. Okay. Or the, the series itself. All right. So what we know is based on the setup. And again, I have not read the book. But based on the setup, we begin. We begin at the end and then we're going to work our way backward. So this very first episode, we're introduced to sergeant jenkins as someone who's seen as very capable and very had a great reputation in the department as someone that gets things done we also see him being a trainer to new detectives or new officers actually new officers um telling them the ways to engage and truly be a part of community policing to not, he's literally telling them not to beat on suspects. Like the absurdity of a police officer saying and telling, telling other officers, Hey, don't beat on, don't beat on the community. Don't beat on people. You're trying to bring to justice. That'll hurt your case. I think the matter of factness of that conversation was unnerving and also foreshadowing in a lot of ways because it's like talking out the side of your neck. Like you get the sense that he's talking out the side of his neck because while we don't, the show does a really good job of not showing us everything in the first episode because it's not, it's not necessary. You'll have other episodes to tease all of that stuff out, but how they set it up is on the one hand, you have detective uh, or Sergeant Jenkins, who's widely respected in the department is setting officers on the straight and narrow, but there are a few people in the department and there's a moment between him and Sean Souter, detective Sean Souter, he became a detective, um, where you get the sense that something was about to happen. There was some, that they knew each other, that they were partnered with each other, but that there was some uneasiness with detective Souter about Jenkins. But Jenkins was either too overly confident or too unaware of this tension when they met. But you as the viewer get a sense that something's about to go down. And if you know the case, if you even know anything about Sean Souter, you know that 
some something very tragic happens to Sean Souter, but there's some theories as to why that tragic thing happened to Detective Souter, but we'll get to that. I expect that the show will get to that. But for now, again, we're introduced to those two officers, not as officers, as thugs. And so we're like, what the heck is going on? We're also introduced to Jenkins as this widely respected person, but you feel like the, 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 the shiny facade is about to fall off. We're also introduced to Officer, oh, uh, what's his name? Wenzel? What's his name? Who do he play? Oh, Hersel, who is a heel of a person. Outside of a badge, he trash. Then you put a badge on him and then he's just taking liberties, using the opportunity to be as awful as he wants to be. And so we're introduced to him being just a jerk. And and this again, so I told you, it illuminates the not only the corruption in this task force, but then also generally policing in the community here in Baltimore, the relationship between the police and the citizens. And Herschel is a prime example. Dude has so many complaints on his file. It's stupid. Yet he's never been suspended. He's still on the job doing his due. We're even introduced to him, not introduced to him, like in the second scene where he's in. No, no, no. We are introduced to him intimidating a father with his kid in the front seat. That's how we're introduced to Herschel, intimidating a citizen that he decided he wanted to stop, perhaps because he was bored that day. And then the next time we see him, it's after we've heard countless um, uh, Wunmi, Wunmi, who do you play again, girl? Uh, Nicole Steele is going around talking to different judges, talking to different um, folks, at le- talking to the mayor, then Mayor Stephanie Rollins-Blake, also talking to judges who've had connections with Herschel and they're all commiserating over the fact that this guy really should not be on the streets, but, but in trying to follow the, go by the book, he's not dismissible, not at the moment. Meanwhile, so that conversation happens and then we immediately see him use excessive force on someone that he illegally searched or stopped and he stopped him. He profiled him and stopped him. And then illegal searched his vehicle, found nothing, him and his partner. And then the guy rightly is upset and starts cursing Hersel out. And, you know, it's, it, it's just frustrated and Hersel attacks him and then bump, actually chest bumps him, says that he, um, chest bumps him while his partner isn't looking, but there's a crowd of people on looking and then proceeds to batter him, bloodies him. And yep. And, and then when his, his officer calls an ambulance instead of calls, calling a a wagon to come pick up the guy that he's now accusing of assaulting a police officer we get the sense that the only way that Herschel is ever going to be taken down is if people have a spine enough to call him on it. And by people, I'm not talking about the citizens, because again, he has like 50 something cases against him, but none of them amount to him being dismissed as an officer. 
or, or shoot or even reprimanded as an officer. He, he just gets, quote unquote, a reputation. And so we see, we know, I mean, and again, I know, but if you follow the, the gun trace task force case, there's a side story of police policing in Baltimore and police brutality. Herschel name come up again and again and again. And so we're going to see more of his story. But I think the other thing that I really wanted to say is his story is really indicative. Like when he was beating, he, the, the story I just described of him harassing that, that man that he pulled over for no reason. And then because the man is mad and says something that is offensive to Herschel, he chest bumps him and then acts as if the guy attacked him. There's a crowd of people on looking. This is after Freddie Gray now. Freddie Gray happened in 2015. The consent decree came the next year. So during this time, the city was under a consent decree and had a different, and Kevin, Commissioner Kevin Davis had been put in place by um, Rollins Blake. Um, but there was no real police reform happening. Like, I remember, I remember when the decree was put in place. I was here. I was here for all of that. Um, not much changed. It was even more of a distrust and even to, to exempt, like kind of put a fine tooth or fine, a fine point on the distrust of officers in this city. There is a scene before the, the very worst scene about Hersel again, throughout this whole episode, we're hearing about this dirty officer named Hersel and how he should not be on the force, but is still very much on the force. We also see a moment when we're introduced to Wumi's character, who is Nicole Steele, where she witnesses police trying to arrest um, someone and there's a crowd of people around him and the person is, is, is physically in pain and squirming on the floor while the police officer has his knee in his back and his other partner is like uh, trying to get the crowd to go back up. And then after a certain point, they just said, forget it, police yourselves. And the police officers literally get up, take the cuffs from the person um, and get in their car and roll on. And Nicole, Nicole Steele is recording this the whole time. And she's just like, "Okay, so rather than doing the right thing, you do nothing. And so that was kind of the sentiment of citizens. Certainly, that was my sentiment and the sentiment of people around in and around Baltimore. Now, mind you, I've by this time, I began working in a field where 2016, 2016, I began working at the end of 2016. I began working in a field um, and at an organization where we worked with police officers. And I got to be honest with you, play not playing nice, but finding them helpful was hard for me because of what I saw on the street. What I saw on the street was depicted in many cases. Now, I didn't see police brutality. I didn't see officers giving up on arrest and giving up on policing. But what I did see, what I did witness were community members feeling like the police had given up, hearing on the news that the police were scared to do their job, hearing on the news um, people justifying police being scared to do their job, feeling, and, and then on the other hand, hearing and kind of getting the sentiment that, well, y'all just need to police y'all selves because you're so out of control. You know, you, you can't let officers do their job. Meanwhile, I'm literally thinking, I remember when I was forwarded the video message on Facebook 
days after what happened to Freddie Gray happened. I remember seeing that video. It was sent to me on Facebook when back when I was on it. I remember seeing all of that. I remember one of the um, one of the girls that goes to my church. I remember her talking about a similar thing that happened to one of her relatives and that they got a payout. They didn't get justice. I remember. And what we know is that Nicole Steele was introduced saying the reason why there was there was a the, the consent decree came along largely because of Freddie Gray, but then also all of the complaints against officers, not complaints, but all of the settlements that the city had done because their officers, something, an incident happened in the course of an arrest where someone was hospitalized, paralyzed, or unalived, like killed. And the city sided with the family and awarded the family money. Like, that's not something that's talked about. And this is what comes up in this. That came up in episode one. And so I remember living through all of this and being the community organizing person that I am, like at my core, I'm thinking, I'm thinking what, what uh, Nicole Steele said. So rather than do your job, you'd rather do nothing. It is easier for you to treat the people that you are trying, to, that you are quote unquote, high. your job is to protect them. It's easier to treat them like they're enemy combatants than to find a way to police with integrity, than find a way to police with the community. Now, if you're an abolitionist, you rolling your eyes at this point because you're like, uh, this is the whole reason why I am an abolitionist. I am not an abolitionist. What I am is someone who wants things to be different. I want people to feel safe. I also want... I want them to feel safe from crime. I also don't want them to be victims of the police. And I don't know how we get there by words alone or grand gestures alone. And so anyway, I think this series is very important to watch. I really, I, Baltimore is so, is such an interesting city and there's so many different things that you could spend time making media about, but like, what do we end up making media about? What does HBO always make media about? The very worst things that happen. And I understand it. Like how many TV shows, there are more TV shows about crime in Baltimore than there are about anything, TV shows and media just in general, than there are movies and media combined that don't have anything to do with crime in Baltimore. But it's the thing that is the most interesting and it's true. We do have a crime problem in Baltimore. It's not more, it's not worse than New York. It's not worse than D.C., Philly, Kansas City, any other comparable city in size and demographics. It's not worse than anywhere else. It's just Baltimore feels like a microcosm of mid-sized cities that were at one time blue collar and are suffering from like the income gap is huge. The resource gap is huge, is, is even larger. Uh, people who have and the have, the, the gap between the haves and the have not is extremely wide. 
So I get it. But this story, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this story largely because I never saw Wayne Jenkins as a hero. This episode, this very first episode, we know that Wayne thinks he's a hero. And again, he's kind of painted something like that. And I think we see Wayne from his perspective. In, in the first episode, we see him through his perspective a lot. And there's a moment at the end, and this is not a spoiler, we know that Wayne Jenkins goes to prison. Like, if you know any, all you got to do is Google the, uh, Google the gun trace and uh, gun trace task force. You know that a bunch of officers, including Wayne Jenkins, go to prison. Um, but there's a moment where Commissioner, um, Davis, when all of the officers, or at least the first round of officers are rounded up, including Jenkins and are arrested, excuse me, and are arrested. And I actually know that that facility where they shot, that used to be the training facility, the police, Baltimore city police training facility is off Pimlico, uh, Northern, actually it's not off Pimlico, it's off Northern, it's off Northern Parkway. Um, and so it's cool that they, they, uh, they shot there, they filmed the scene there. Um, cause I've been in that training facility again, because of the nature of my job. Um, we partner with the police, Baltimore city and Baltimore County police. So I've been in that training facility a couple of times. And so it was cool that they did it there. Um, but there's a moment where Jenkins is arrested and commissioner Davis goes and he's, he wants to just have a moment with Jenkins and he goes in there and it's like a staring contest and neither one flinches. And then Davis actually at the, so at, there's a point where neither one flinches and then Davis flinches first and then he leaves. And then when he leaves out, he's like, everybody else looked away except for him. And in that moment, to me, that was a setup for two things. Not only Jenkins thinking that he's a hero and he's being persecuted. And then on the other hand, him being a complete villain. So him being a villain and not knowing it is essentially what we saw there. A complete villain and not knowing it. And so what I expect, again, I have not read the book, We Own the City. Um, and maybe I should, I should go get it. Um, but we're going to see the unraveling of Jenkins and we're going to see the extent of his crime, the full extent of his crimes. And again, you know, the story, if you're from, from the Baltimore area, you know, the story, or at least, you know, what happened and you know, kind of the context, but it will be nice to see more of the nuance because again, I never saw Jenkins as a hero at all. I never even understood that he would think that the way he was painted and the way everybody in that task force was painted as they were all villainous from the beginning without question, no exceptions. So anyway, all very interesting, all very cool. So we'll see how this thing goes. But yeah, if you're not watching, we own the city. Um, there's encores happening. Obviously you can watch it right now on HBO. I'm going to be watching the series and I will periodically pop in and kind of talk about it because this thing is fascinating. This thing is very fascinating because it's taking a story that is easily searchable, but then giving you the nuance 
that isn't easily searchable and and humanizes folks. And also, again, I think the reason why I like it is because it's it's actually parallel telling parallel stories about the task force, but then also about the nature of policing in Baltimore and just, you know, these these vicious circles, cycles that we can't seem to, to break. Anyway, that's it for now. I've talked enough. Um, if you are watching this and you have thoughts yourself, feel free to leave me a voice message. I will check it and respond to it. You're welcome to, um, if, you know, especially if like there's a consent decree in your city, like Cleveland, you from Cleveland, you from Philly, you from Vegas, New Orleans, like any of those cities that had a consent decree, like I'm curious, I'm eager to hear from you. Um, eager, eager beaver to hear from you. Florida, or what was it? Miami Gardens, eager to hear from you. Um, and what changed, what didn't change, what stayed exactly the same following the consent decree um, in your city. Eager to hear from you. Also, um, just as an aside, if you are interested in, if you want to, you can leave me a favorable rating for stars are better. And then you could leave me some notes. If they're positive, I will read them. If they're not positive, forget it. You can also keep them to yourself, too. You could easily do that. Um, but if you don't want to do any of that, you could share this episode with somebody that you think might dig it. Because at the end of the day, this is a hobby of mine. And you could really help me out to help spread the word about this show, spread the reach of this show. So I appreciate you in advance for anything that you do to help do that. Um, but for now, have a wonderful day. Enjoy yourself. Take time for yourself today. If it's not daytime for you and you're listening, I hope you have a good night and have a wonderful morning. Hope you're able to finish that project. Don't let the people get on your nerves. It's not even that serious. Um, even if it feels very, you know, it's a passion project of yours. That's not going to be the last great idea you're ever going to have. You are full of great ideas and you'll have, you'll be able to, you'll be able to put energy behind them and do another great thing. So you'll be able to move forward. Okay. All right. Have a great day until next time.